On this episode, I'm in the room with Catherine McNeil discussing her new book, Long Days of Small Things, Motherhood as a Spiritual Discipline. Welcome to In the Room, episode number 57. My name is Ryan Hughley. I'm the senior pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Hickory, North Carolina. Are you going to say it? Am I going to say what? Home of the Crawdads. Well, yes, and it's Home of the Crawdads, but I think everybody knows that at this point. Can that be part of our official intro? I think that a part of the official intro should be something else that is significant about Hickory. Home or of the an Apple Data Center. It is. I think a Google one as well. Home of Lake Hickory. It do, it is the but now you're using them all up and let's be honest Hickory's not that big we oh, need to conserve every them we'll yeah we have a one. different thing that's awesome all yeah. right sorry all right start it again no I don't need to start it again at this point we're already into it so this week I'm in the room with Catherine McNeil yes who has written a great book uh, specifically targeted at moms yep. helping them uh, learn to see uh, what they do as a mom particularly I think stay at home moms more than anything else but really all moms in general about how to see what they do as a spiritual discipline, yeah. which I love. It's actually a great book for parents, I think, totally. uh, both men and women. But since we're on the topic of parenting and motherhood, yes, like you and I got pretty deep last week <laughs> we did. talking about our moms. Yeah. So we talked about my whole things. thing. So I figured since we're on the topic of moms this week, yeah. let's just go ahead and let's talk about All right. most, maybe most embarrassing or significant memory that you have uh, from your mom. Hmm. My mom did. How about I go first? This yeah. Week? I had, my mom had, uh, I think her personal mission once I hit my teen years was my humility. Yeah. And she decided that she was going to actively pursue my sanctification by finding embarrassing ways to pick me up at my school. That's awesome. Yeah. Not so much when you're I like 16. Well, I know your mom too. And <laughs> She's so, pretty cutthroat. Well, and I just believe she was incredibly creative. She was very creative and things. exceptionally committed. Yeah. <laughs> so she, I went to a small private Christian high school. So like I graduated with like 17 people. I also graduated dead last. Fun fact about Ryan Hughley. You did. And I just spoke in the third person. And you did. <laughs> this needs to be my last week on the podcast. But you showed him. I did. Because now I you're did. very successful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So successful. You and I are doing a podcast <laughs> together. So so uh, my mom would come and she would pick me up. 120 people in my school total. Mm-hmm. So the worst, there are a multitude of examples, but the worst was my mom came to the school. I did not know she was there. Yeah. She had come right as the three o'clock bell had rung. And all I hear is my mom calling out my name in the hall in a pretty shrill, pretty annoying Sure. Volume. Like in a way you're like, something's going on. Something is going on. The first time I heard it, I was like, this is going to be something that I talk about to a therapist at some point. It was that kind of thing. So then I come around the corner and I see my mom and she has on a white t-shirt and uh, like shorts, but with a grass skirt. Amazing. And a coconut bra (laughs) and a giant fruit hat walking through the hallway, calling my name. Like somebody should have called DCFS. That's, there's something... That's like some sociopath stuff. I think that she secretly knew what she was doing in just paving your (laughs) ability to have total security in yourself. (laughs) Yes, I guess it could be that. All right, so what's yours? Embarrassing story from your mom. We already know that you... What did you do with your mom? You played racquetball. Played That's racquetball. like so mild compared to I took tap and my mom wore a coconut bra to my school. I know. And I'm, I'm, I'm realizing as we've done a couple of these, I sometimes forget the more people than just you and I are, are going to hear this. 
<laughs> we might even just have like 20 people that listen to uh-huh. this, but nonetheless, they're going to know this stuff. Uh-huh. But at the same time, there's a part of me that's like, but let's get real. Let's get let's real. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's go there. Isn't podcasting about authenticity? Yeah. I did Weight Watchers with my mom. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> like counted points with food and stuff for a long time. <laughs> for how long? I mean, it was a good amount of time. I was chubby. <laughs> I was a chubby eighth grader. And That's, I w- not, fun. That's not the funny part. <laughs> I'm not trying to be like a well, bully or anything. No, but I can bully myself. But in eighth grade, you did yeah. Weight Watchers with your mom. Yeah, I did. All right. That is just... <laughs> I've known you a long time. I did not know that. Like I said, I believe in just getting real yeah. on this show. Well mission accomplished yeah you just got real yeah like i still remember some foods and like how many points they were and stuff like that yeah yeah i ate these things they were disgusting Mm -hmm. they're called boca burgers oh yeah you heard of these they're they're soy burgers i think which is just they don't look like food they look like it's just it's disgusting but i remember you eat one of those with like ketchup and pickles on Mm -hmm. it for one point Hmm. Which I got like 30 points in a day or something like yeah, that. And you're bonding with mom all at the same time. Exactly. And I lost some weight. Okay. Yeah. Well, the great thing is none of this is wound up into Catherine McNeil's book. No. So you're just getting extra stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And if you need any weight loss tips, just let me know. Yeah. That's uh, I still remember some at recipes. Scott Holdhouse on Scott, Twitter. Yep. You can uh, hit him up with all your questions. Yeah. I think Weight Watchers has changed quite a bit since, uh, since me and mom did it. But. <laughs> Oh my gosh, moving right along. <laughs> All right, I very much enjoyed Catherine. She is uh, delightful, I will say that. She's very fun to talk to, um, very relaxed, very insightful, and I appreciate the, uh, I think the thing that stood out to me the most about her was just her humility. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think that she came at this topic as an expert. Um, but as someone who is still in the trenches with little kids and trying to figure out yeah. how do I care for my soul and follow Jesus in the midst of all of these things. And I just think she comes at that really humbly, which I appreciated. Yep. So uh, come on in the room for my conversation with Catherine McNeil. Catherine, thanks so much for coming on in the room. Uh, I really appreciate it and excited to talk about your new book, uh, Long Day of S- Long Days of Small Things, Motherhood as a Spiritual Discipline. And uh, thanks, before we jump into all that, I would love to just get to know you a little bit more. So tell me a little bit about where you're from originally um, and just some personal biography on you. Sure. Well, I'm currently living in the Chicago suburbs, which, depending on how far back you want to go, is where I'm from originally. I was born the day after my dad started seminary at Trinity. Okay. Um, So the family joke is he didn't start a family and seminary on the same time. He said, you know, he separated them by a day. That's right. That's right. (laughs) But my memories of childhood take place in Wisconsin and Minnesota, which is where I grew up. And then I came back. To the Chicago area for school myself. Was your, was your dad a pastor then? He was. Okay, yes. so you grew up a pastor's kid. Was that a good experience, tough experience? Uh, you know, it was a mixed bag, but overall I would, I would say it was the highlight of my life. I loved it. Well, good. That's a glowing recommendation to, to say it was the highlight of my life. I pray to God my kids say that. <laughs> it, was a, it was a joy. I'm, I was always very proud of my dad. Okay, so then you came back to Chicago to go to school. Where'd you go to school? I did. I went to Wheaton College. Oh, great. What was your degree in? Uh, I double majored in Bible theology and uh, Christian uh, formation. Oh, excellent. So, 
both of those things definitely come through in long days of small things. Absolutely. I hope they do. Yeah. And so then uh, you're married now, three kids, is that correct? That is right. Um, My husband and I have three kids. They are ages 10, 8, and 5. Great. So I'm moving into the sleeping through the night phase of being a parent. That's very exciting. My, I have three kids as well. We have uh, my daughter Ava just turned nine, and then I have a son Ryder who is six, and then a son Lincoln who is four. And we are not into the sleeping through the night phase. So, Ooh, yeah, it's been you're rough. almost there. We're good, yeah, the, I, <laughs> I, 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 I pray to God that that's actually true. I will pray with you. <laughs> and so, what is your husband's name? My husband's name is Matthew. Okay, excellent. And, and what does he do? Oh, okay, great. He's, He's the director. Uh, he actually works for our church. He's okay. the director of a faith-based social services agency that works in our community. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So tell me a little bit. Of, so you're you're a wife and a mom of three kids. You've got uh, plenty of stuff going on in your life already. Why? What? What is it about this book? Where did the burden come from that you felt like it's just so? I have to get this out of me because you certainly were not looking for more to do. So, so, so where did the burden for this book come from for you? Yes. Well, like you said, I had so much on my plate and, um, you know, I mentioned I'd studied, uh, Bible theology and Christian formation and I have always been a huge proponent, um, and practitioner of the spiritual disciplines, um, and I'm also a very contemplative person, so I love a room that is dimly lit, maybe with some candles, some soft music in the background. Mm-hmm. That's how I'd love to live most of my life. But I found myself instead um, in charge of um, three small children, um, a couple part-time jobs, all of the adulting that we all have to do. Yep. And um, I was at a conference one day, um, it was a ministry leaders conference, and the man who was speaking said that if we are going to be um, built up in our relationship with God such that we can minister for Him, that we have to find 30 to 60 minutes a day to sit in silence and solitude before God. <laughs> and Oh, that hit me so hard uh-huh. because I absolutely agree with him on, on a level, and I would probably have said the same thing if I was invited to speak at that conference. And yet at the same time, I knew that there was no time of the day or night when I had silence or solitude, you mm-hmm. know, like as you were saying, even at two o'clock in the morning, there's someone calling for me or uh, someone crawling into my bed. Uh, even if I were to go to the bathroom and lock myself in, there's little fingers slipping underneath the door. That's right. Um, and the discouragement that I felt there was palpable. Um, I wondered, is it not possible to have a vibrant relationship with God to really uh, delve into spiritual formation during this season of my life? And I heard the same discouraged, um, disempowered message coming from the women around me as well. And at the same time, juxtaposed over this discouragement, The seasons of motherhood had taught me things about God that I had not been able to learn in a book. Yeah. Um, They were, it was like being in the lab of creation, of nurture, of love, of discipline, of uh, perseverance. Um, And the spiritual disciplines that I did not have the opportunity to live out, uh, maybe in my community or in my church, I was being called upon to act out in my home and in my family and in my own spirit 
24 hours a day. You know, I was called on to serve at any time of the day or night. I was called on to forgive, to persevere, to celebrate, to sacrifice, to surrender. Um, I wasn't able to maybe join a committee or attend a service project, but I was constantly practicing these disciplines. And I realized that what I lacked was the creativity to see this season of my life as spiritually formative, but that God had made it. He had Mm -hmm. made all this on purpose. He even joined us in these physical lives. He was born. Mm -hmm. He came to us through his mother's womb and was born. Um, I knew that God didn't lack the creativity to see how my spirit could be formed in these days. And I, that, that was why I, I, uh, had the burden to get this message out. I think it's super important. An observation that I made a few years ago in the midst of some of the frustration of these very same things, you know, like we even call it Mm -hmm. a quiet time. Well, when you have little kids, that's like not a thing. There is no no quiet time. But I started to notice that every book ever that I'd ever read um, on the spiritual disciplines, on prayer in particular, was always written by like an old guy who had no little kids anymore. And so I actually think one of the things that's really great about your book is that it's uh, raw and real and accessible to people who are not in that situation. Uh, Mm Because like you, I I love time alone. I love time in quiet. I love time to be able to reflect and contemplate. And uh, I have, as a pastor with a study, I have an opportunity to do that, but my wife doesn't in the same Mm -hmm. way. And so I think this is super necessary. So before we get into the specifics, I want to talk just about comparison for a second. Okay. I had a question about that. Um, how, how do you think that moms can avoid being crushed under the burden of comparison? Because even in, in the conference that you referenced that you went to and hearing you know, a guy say, this is what you need to do, what you mm-hmm. did in that moment was immediately begin to compare what he said mm-hmm. and what he practiced to your what you do. Hmm. And, and I've just noticed that... Um, that comparison is something that um, is regularly on the heart and mind of my wife. Mm -hmm. And I think with the explosion of mommy blogs and all of these Mm -hmm. other things, I think, so I even think about you writing this book. So even you, you have three kids, you work in ministry alongside Mm -hmm. your husband, you Mm -hmm. have um, two jobs. And as you say in your book, an enormous (laughs) garden. So, Mm -hmm. so how do moms avoid making your capacity, even their capacity? Like, do you have any thoughts Mm -hmm. about that? I am so glad you asked that. In fact, I could not be not be happier. One thing that I said uh, to myself, I had it written down on a note card, and I said it to my editor and my publisher throughout the entire process of writing and editing and marketing this book, is that the last thing I want to do is to have even a single person walk away saying, if I was more like her, then maybe I'd have it together. If I did things more like Catherine, maybe I would be okay. And um, I'm definitely writing this out of need. I'm writing this out of my own brokenness. Um, I start the book with a confession. I say that um, I'm not that mom on Facebook or Pinterest who is posting gorgeous pictures of how I made the perfect birthday cake and we (laughs) all showed up to church with our hair curled. Um, I am not that mom at all. Um, I don't consider myself to be winning motherhood, I say, but... It's in this place of end of my rope where I seem to have, I'm hanging out here on a long-term basis Mm -hmm. at end of my rope. And 
that is precisely where the spiritual disciplines are meant to bring us um, to this place, whether through fasting or through service or um, whatever, where mm-hmm. we have come to the end of ourselves and we see that it is God who is our sustainer, God who is our creator and our breath. And so, I definitely want to assure any mother out there who is afraid of reading one more book or hearing one more message that says, uh, here's a list of things, even though I don't know you, that you should be doing differently or better. Um, I'm not saying that at all. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hoping, in fact, to say the opposite, that if you are like me and you do not have it all together, I have a good news for you. God has come here, mm-hmm. and God is here in this mess. And we don't have to step out of the mess to find Him because He has come to the mess. That's good. That's good. You have any advice for husbands who, you know, see their wives that are really struggling in this? I mean, I, I do think that I, I love social media. I'm thankful for it on a lot of different fronts, and it's a plague um, on a lot of fronts as well. One of those is the way that um, we do tend to fashion the best version of our lives online mm-hmm. and then compare ourselves. Like, compare, I heard one, I think, pastors say, we compare our um, behind the scenes to everybody mm-hmm. else's like staged best performance imaginable. Sure. That's so, a really good way to put it. So do you, do you have any thoughts for, for husbands that maybe see their wives that are really struggling with that in ways that specifically, cause I know we have a lot of people listening who aren't just moms, but a lot of husbands as well. Any, mm-hmm. any thoughts on how to, how to, how you as a wife would want to be encouraged when you're struggling with that as well? Um, yeah, I think so. I would guess I would say to the dads and the husbands, um, just really strive to be a voice of encouragement uh, for your wife. You know, whenever you live with someone, the things that annoy you rise to the top of the things that you you think about. Um, but we are not perfect, but we are pouring ourselves out. Um, and I think, you know, I don't care that much about what a blogger four states away thinks of me, mm-hmm. um, but that blogger can get me down. Um, but if my husband comes home and is able to see past the mess and my frustration and my stress, um, and, and love me where I'm at, then the blogger four states away doesn't matter so much anymore. And I guess I would also say to dads to read the book. Um, I wrote it to moms because I needed, you know, to have an audience and that's who I wanted to speak to. But there's a lot in here that I think is for you as well. Um, there's a lot of things here that apply just as much to dads and it's a book about God primarily. Yeah. So, and I would really commend it to pastors and ministry leaders as well. And we'll talk about that in just a few minutes, but I think especially to help us as pastors better empathize with and understand, you know, when, when I, from the front, you know, talk about the need to serve in the church and to be committed to the church and connected to the church, just understanding how how already stressed out, worn out, and weary moms are hearing that and processing that. Mm-hmm. I think it's really, mm-hmm. really helpful for that. So one of my favorite things uh, about the book is the way that you frame motherhood as a spiritual discipline in and of mm-hmm. itself. And, um, and um, I want to talk about spiritual disciplines in general. So um, moms are already so busy 
trying to survive. I see my, what my wife mm-hmm. goes through and, and like, I've got a busy, stressful job for sure. And I don't know if I could do hers. <laughs> so, <laughs> so how in the world, we've already talked about this, but you know, when, when we talk about a quiet time or a devotional mm-hmm. life, how, how do moms do that? Cause like, again, quiet, quiet time literally is not a thing when you have right. little kids, especially. So, so how do moms, especially with these little kids around all the time, how does that happen? Mm. That, yes. At the end of, I have nine chapters in the book, and at the end of each one, I do give three pieces of, I hope, practical advice on how uh, moms can uh, try to practice um, these things that I've talked about inside of the chapter. And it was important to me that I bring highlight things that we are already doing in our day. And um, instead of saying, you know, you're super busy, you're super tired, you don't have time to take care of yourself or maybe even to take a shower, but see if you can just slip in these few couple more things. I really wanted to find things that we're already doing. That's good. um, And then give tips for how we can use these things as tools to put our focus back on God. Um, So the first one that I start the book out with is breathing. Because no matter what we're doing, if it's a good day or a bad day, a stressful day or a vacation day, you have we're to do that. We have right. to do it. That's right. Yeah. So um, I just give some tips on how we can uh, use our breathing to focus our thoughts on God and on His presence with us. Um, of course, that's going to still be easier to do when I'm sitting in a quiet room than when I'm chasing my child down the parking lot. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, I do also, you know, say don't don't make this into uh, something to be guilty about. Don't don't do this with every breath. Mm-hmm. But if you can one time a day remember to use breathing to place your eyes on God, then that's gonna that's gonna be a game changer for your peace level and your spirit. Um, other ones like um, cooking and even eating, being aware of the sacrament that it is when we take food into our bodies or prepare food for someone else, um, that that can be a holy act that teaches us about the Lord and about His creation. Um, Even driving our children in the car, I have tips, um, disciplining for sure, and Mm -hmm. loving. These are ways that we can learn about God's character and learn about our own character. Um, So, I I have a number, 27 to be exact, um, practices that I'm recommending that moms can find in their daily lives without adding in something else. Yep. Hey, sorry for interrupting the conversation, but I wanted to tell you about uh, a project that I've worked hard on over the last year and I'm very excited about. It's my new book, Eight Hours or Less, Writing Faithful Sermons Faster. Uh, Time in our culture is one of our greatest commodities. And one of the biggest time investments for pastors is certainly sermon preparation. Uh, But what if there were a way for you to write better sermons in less time? And that's really my hope and my prayer for my new book, Eight Hours or Less. Uh, It's a step-by-step guide for improving your process and being the best steward of time uh, that God's given you. And so if you have not yet had an opportunity and you've been blessed by the podcast, uh, it would be a huge blessing to me if you would uh, run over to Amazon.com or uh, my website, RyanHughley.com, and pick up your copy of Eight Hours or Less. 
But one of my deepest convictions is that motherhood is distinctly missional. Um, as a mom, uh, you spend so much of your time shepherding little sinners toward Jesus, ultimately. And I really love the way that um, Ann Voskamp and her endorsement wrote, motherhood is about the sculpting of souls. And I thought that was such a beautiful way to frame um, really the call of motherhood. And so I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about that and then maybe specifically how do you, maybe even you personally, how do you do that when you're exhausted? Which um, from my experience of observing my wife is pretty much all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a, that is a great point and a great question. Um, you know, I, one thing I've thought about a lot through my life is how so many of us are really wrapped up in finding kind of the big calling, you know, mm-hmm. what is the way I'm going to really change the world? Yep. Um, you know, what thing that I do will just reverberate for all, you know, around the planet for decades. And, but, you know, he has shown you what is good and what the Lord requires of you to mm-hmm. do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly. And I think uh, so much of our task, so much of what God has called us to is just being faithful wake up every day That's and right. continue to do these kind of bread and butter tasks that mm-hmm. make up our existence and our life. And, you know, the children that we take care of as moms or dads mm-hmm. um, are people, you know, they are yeah. people created by God, given to us specifically. And I'm not one to say, you know, that my ultimate and finally, final calling is to my children and that uh, God can't think beyond that. But I right. do think that that's starting place, you know, mm-hmm. the starting block for moms and dads that um, these children are just as important as anyone that I will encounter elsewhere in mm-hmm. my life. And um, it's in my faithfulness to them that everything else flows. That's good. Well, I remember John Piper wrote this amazing um book. I think that it was a book that he actually edited, but it was on the the life and legacy of Jonathan Edwards. Mm. And uh, he, I believe, wrote the chapter toward the end about the the legacy of he and his wife as parents. Mm. And it was amazing to see he tracks down, um, you know, all of these generations. And it was unbelievable how many senators and teachers and pastors and wow. I believe even vice presidents of the United's all could track their lineage back to Jonathan Edwards and his wife and was an amazing testament to the impact mm-hmm. of we you know we th- I'm, I'm a pastor so I think about mm-hmm. the impact of my preaching and my church and all of these things and we don't always do a great job of thinking about just the impact of being a good parent mm-hmm. and what that holds and creating a healthy family life and all of that and so I completely agree on that. Well, one of the things I do appreciate about your book so much is the way that you really help moms to see the spiritual nature of what they're Mm -hmm. doing. You know, we still have such a bad habit of Christians as having these really stark lines between the sacred and the secular. And, um, And so you help, I think, moms really see their work as worship. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of the ways that you do in the book, uh, but seeing the way that you turn the seemingly mundane day-to-day tasks into worship or to spiritual disciplines. Yeah, that is actually 
something that's very important to me. You know, when you think about God's work in the world, He began, you know, the Bible starts with Him on His hands and knees with His Mm -hmm. hands in the dirt, creating us by Mm -hmm. hand. And then when He came to reveal Himself to us most powerfully, He came as a baby, you Mm -hmm. know, He was born. And I think He loves this physical world that He made. Like, why wouldn't He? He made it, you know? And um, I think it's here that we find Him, because where else where else could it be? Mm-hmm. Um, this is where we are. And when Jesus was on earth, I'm just so enamored by His parables and where He spent His time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, He was in a fishing boat, and think about how hot and smelly that was. I've mm-hmm. been in a fishing boat, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know how that is. And um, He was talking with shepherds about their sheep, and He was talking about kneading bread dough, and mm-hmm. He was—it's uh, all very physical, all very mm-hmm. tactile. And he placed the kingdom of God in these everyday things, um, the lost coin, mm-hmm. the missing sheep, the the basket of fish, the, mm-hmm. the loaf of bread. Um, even at that final Passover dinner before he died, he took bread and he took wine and mm-hmm. he said, this is my body, this is my blood, this is where you will understand my redemption. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I, he, he didn't ask his followers to look any further than the ingredients of their daily lives for the clues to understanding his kingdom. And I say in my book that I think if he were in my village today, he would be telling me parables about the sale flyers that come in my mail and the, mm-hmm. the uh, old shoes that my children find at the bottom of their backpacks right. and the sippy cups that didn't get rinsed out somewhere in the van. Yeah. And um, I think that it's in these everyday things that Jesus taught us to find him. And mm-hmm. I think that's where he still is. Can you give me any practical examples of what that looks like for you? So whether that be, I mean, I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not a mom and I don't know what motherhood looks exactly like for you, but in laundry and in dishes mm-hmm. and in meal preparation, how, how do you think about those things that turns them from being just this, like, I can't stand doing this one more time to actually being a spiritual discipline. Any practical examples that you would point to? Sure. Absolutely. And again, not that I have already attained all this. Mm -hmm. I, I push up against the piles of laundry with all of my might, (laughs) but, um, I think there's a couple different layers. One is thinking about, um, sort of, Benedictine spirituality that sees value just simply in taking these small tasks of folding laundry or mm-hmm. scrubbing a floor and saying, I'm learning about service. I'm learning about mm, valuing good. these small things that make up sustained life for myself and others. That's and good. there's just inherently value in folding this t-shirt and then folding another t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what makes our days go to the glory of God. Mm -hmm. Um, And then another thing I think is that when I can keep my mind on the task at hand, you know, it's, I don't need my mind to fold laundry or wash dishes Mm -hmm. um, or unload the groceries. So I tend to be thinking about something else while I'm hurrying, my hands are hurrying through the tasks. But if I can bring my mind back to this t-shirt, this sippy cup, mm-hmm. this box of goldfish, mm-hmm. um, then I'm, I'm much more at peace and I'm able to focus on my family, uh, focus on what their needs are, focus on God's presence here. Mm-hmm. And I, I personally am more centered, if I can use that word, sure. and calm. But And then I'm also able to just 
do better. I work mm-hmm. more efficiently. I um, keep my eyes on Jesus. I love my children more patiently. So I think it's both seeing the inherent value of these tasks and then also using their repetitive nature to bring my mind back to the present, mm-hmm. which is where God is and where he's meeting us. That's good. How would you encourage the discouraged mom, which I'm, I'm sure there are some of those listening, who knows that she needs to pour into her children, that she needs to invest in her husband, but truthfully just feels so weary and so worn out on the inside that she doesn't even know how or where to start. I would love to encourage you, mom, that just heard that and recognizes those words as your own. Um, I want to encourage you that in the Bible, in all throughout the Bible, God is revealing himself to us as a parent. He is talking about himself as the one who gave birth to his people, as the one who fed them, Mm -hmm. who taught them to walk, who took his people by hand. And he created this whole process of birth and breastfeeding and delivery and infancy, and he knows everything that it entails. Mm -hmm. He is not standing far away, um, looking down his nose at you saying, if you could be less like a mother, I would be happier. He identifies, he identifies with you and he knows what it takes. He knows what you have given and he is right here with you in it. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Uh, at one point in the book, you talk about, <clears throat> you reference Genesis one twenty seven uh, that says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So there's something about, one of my favorite things about that text is that there's something about the Imago Dei, the, the image of God mm-hmm. that is only fully expressed through the complementary identities of both men and women. Mm-hmm. And so, how would you encourage women um, in general and moms in particular to do that? Does that make sense? I think so. Um, I would encourage moms to remember that Jesus came, Jesus was a man, mm-hmm. but God is neither male nor female. Mm-hmm. And like you said in this um, in this passage, we see clearly that God's image is male and female. So, mm-hmm. who you are from your body to your emotions to your life experiences is no less part of the image of God mm-hmm. than um, the men in your life. Mm-hmm. And all of these things are a reflection of God. They are a reflection of His love, of His creation, of His redemption, mm-hmm. and um that he has made you and he made you on purpose mm-hmm. and you with all of your um, body and spirit mm-hmm. and mind and soul and strength are part of that image of God that we are representing to the world and mm-hmm. men can't do it without us. We have yep. to do it together. Yeah. I think too, just speaking to men in general and husbands in particular, I I, I just know in my own heart and mind, how often I revert to this thought of like, well, if my wife could just be more like me, <laughs> it would be so much uh, better for her or for us or for whatever. And that is just like a massive failed thought uh, yeah. or motive in that, that, um, that everything about the way that my wife is, with the exception of like the fallen sinful parts that we all have, mm-hmm 
is beautiful and necessary and part of the image of God that should be expressed and um, the world wouldn't be a better place Mm -hmm. if she was more like me or if women were more like men or vice versa. Mm -hmm. There's beauty in the distinctness of being um, male and female. And so I completely Mm -hmm. agree with that. But I think for, for husbands in particular to keep that in their own minds is really important. Can you talk a little bit about so a huge majority of people that would listen to this are going to be probably pastors and ministry leaders of some kind, and maybe share a little bit with us about how we can better serve and invest in moms in particular. Um, and uh, yeah, let's just start with that. Like any, any common mistakes that you see churches make when it comes to relating to moms in particular? I think the best place to start is with deep listening, Um, If you are trying to make some decisions that are going to impact the women in your church Mm -hmm. and there aren't any women in the conversation, you're probably going to miss it. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say invite women and listen to what they have to say. Hear from from women what their needs are. Hear from mothers what would help them. Mm -hmm. Um, Hear from them how they can contribute and what they need in response. So I would say the, the starting place is deep humble listening. Mm -hmm. And I do feel like that is frequently uh, where things veer off course really Mm -hmm. early on. Yeah. Any thoughts uh, surrounding how we could better empower and give voice to moms? Oh, so many things. Um, I would say to begin, you know, after, after in, in keeping with this listening Mm -hmm. to, um, Recognize, I think, two complementary things. One is that we have had an experience of life and of God that is different from the one you've had. Mm-hmm. And so there is things to be learned from what we have done and what we have seen and how we have met Him mm-hmm. that you can only learn from us. And um, so to value that and to lift that up, um, again, through listening hum- and humility to say, there is something about God that only you can teach us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is absolutely important. But then complimentary to that to say you are more than just not just you are Mm -hmm. more than a mother like Mm -hmm. um you are a mother but perhaps your skills are not um in children's ministry perhaps your skills are in artistic development or in um teaching or whatever it may Mm -hmm. be um not to pigeonhole women into uh this one amazing aspect of our lives to definitely create space for our experience as mothers to have taught us something about God that needs to be shared Mm -hmm. with the body, but at the same time to acknowledge that we have more to share as well. Yeah. I think another one, I think as a pastor that I can be guilty of if I'm not careful is just forgetting um, the filter through which moms would hear sometimes things like, um, a call to serve in the church, you know, mm. maybe particular on Sunday morning. Um, we have a good sized church here in North Carolina. It takes a lot of people serving on Sunday yeah. morning for us to even have yeah. church. And uh, I think really well intentioned, it's easy to stand up in the pulpit and to say, 
Jesus was a servant. Uh, to mm-hmm. follow him is to serve. And here's where we need you to serve on Sunday mm-hmm. morning. And I'm not saying that that's not necessary and then that's not good. And especially if you go to my church and you're listening, we do need you to serve. Um, yes. <laughs> but but to, to, to not forget as a ministry leader that um, just how much, just practically, just how much work it is to yes. get kids ready and to get to church on time, to get to church in the first place, much less Absolutely. early to serve. Or, and then so again, I, I don't think I, I say that to say that we shouldn't be you know, calling people to serve in the church, but just to keep in mind that it's not as simple as, uh, as just showing up and it's hard, you know, especially Absolutely. when you have little kids that require so much of your effort to get ready and to the actual gathering on right. Sunday. Yes, there is a season where mm-hmm. it is harder to serve because um, it requires costly babysitters yeah. or uh, someone is sick and has a fever and mom or dad has to be at home. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And it's not a reflection of their character or their devotion. No, not at all. Season. Absolutely. Well, Catherine, I will say that I think that you have given um, moms a tremendous gift in this book. Uh, that I do think will bring a lot more value and meaning, felt meaning to their job uh, and responsibility as moms. And I think also you've given a gift to uh, dads, I think, to maybe better, like I would encourage dads to read this book just so they would know how to better encourage, maybe to have some language to be able to help encourage their wives and uh and uh, so I um, am thankful to you for writing this, and I'm Thank you. glad that now we're done with our conversation, I can give this book to my wife, because I think Wonderful. she'll be encouraged <laughs> by it as well. So I want to thank you in the midst of having uh, such a busy schedule and everything that you would take the time uh, to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Well, it was a blessing for me. Thank you, Ryan. And yes, uh, I pray that this book is useful to the kingdom. Well, my thanks to Catherine McNeil for taking the time uh, to sit down and to chat with me. I really appreciated our conversation. I always like to hear what struck you, Scotty. So what, what jumped out to you from that conversation? Yeah, she, she said, um, she talked about, or you actually asked her, how, how do you avoid essentially making somebody else's capacity the mm-hmm. gold standard for your own? Yeah, comparison. And yeah, comparison. You guys talked a little bit about social media and how that plays in, but mm-hmm. I, I think that, I thought that was so good, um, not only for moms to hear, mm-hmm. really for all of us, Yeah, because we all probably have somebody we look at and we're like, if I could just do that or have right. the ability to you know do that. And so uh, I think it's good for us as individuals to hear, but I also, I listened to that and thought about my own wife and like, how how am I loving her for who she is mm-hmm. and not for the capacity that some other wife has or or some other mother, but like how because it I think it it um like every every man should love his wife as she needs to be loved, mm-hmm. not how um you know somebody else's mm-hmm. wife needs to be. And so I just thought it was Though she was talking about moms, I thought it's just so mm-hmm. good for everybody totally. to hear that. I think that that Christians in general really need to learn to read books and to listen to sermons with a much more discerning spirit, not just mm. for theological error, but when a book or a sermon crosses over, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but when a sermon or a book crosses over from something that is biblically mandated mm-hmm. or biblically prescribed to... Um, an implication or application from one's own life, 
even if it's wise, yeah. it's still coming out of the reservoir of your own life. Yeah. And people are different. And so I think that's one of the great dangers at times of reading an immense amount about marriage and immense amount about manhood and an immense amount about parenting because so many of those books are filled with like, this is what it looks like for me and praise God for that. And I find value in that. But I think when we don't read with a discerning eye or a discerning ear, whichever one of those organs you should be discerning with, it's probably a mind more than anything else. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're not doing that, then it's easy to just read all that as law. Mm-hmm. And it's just this crushing burden of, well, I'm not like her or I'm not like him and I can't do that much. Yeah. And I think that that's really problematic. So I think you read that as another person's insight and wisdom mm-hmm. and be able to dif- differentiate between something that is, you know, a something that is a biblical prescription. Yeah. You need to do this. Like love your wives the way Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Right. That is a specific biblical mandate. Totally. But then when you move, when a guy moves into, or a gal moves into describing, and here's what it looks like for me to do that, yeah. then I think you just, even in that, need to be listening for, okay, well, is this application for, in this person's life coming specifically from the text, or is it just something in their own life that I need to figure out what it looks like for me to apply that? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I think, I think it's really good, and I think also... Uh, you guys had talked about this, but when it comes to the actual act of comparison Mm -hmm. as well, I think just getting uh, a a better ability to quickly discern what we're seeing Mm -hmm. most of the time that we're comparing to, and you guys talk about this, but like that's the highlights. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then we compare it to what we know is is our reality and our behind the scenes, mm-hmm. and it just can it can be really it can be really um, depressing, and totally. it can be it can give you that sense of well I'm never going to measure up to this or that or yeah. you know be that type of uh, parent or, or whatever, and so I think that as well helps in the in the immediate to battle against some of what we all at certain points have felt mm-hmm. um, in com- in going through comparison. Yeah. Yeah. I so, also um I also thought um she gives the she gives some examples of shifting um shifting their focus. She she talks about it for moms again. I think it, it goes far beyond just moms, mm-hmm. but um shifting using what you're already doing to kind of shift your focus to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so That's she great. gives the examples of breathing, mm-hmm. cooking, eating as an as an example. And yeah. you, you talked about seeing the spiritual and what mm-hmm. we're already doing. Yeah. And um and and I heard I heard that for me yeah. as somebody who is somewhat busy and mm-hmm. there's there's a lot going on and um, I don't always have a ton of time mm-hmm. um, to just sit and read for hours on end. Yeah. And so just sit in a field with your journal. Exactly. Or yeah. as I like to call it, my twenties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, <laughs> hey, there are a few albums that came out of your twenties. Let's not talk about that. Today's that, not the day to talk about that. Well, I already disclosed Listen, that. You get real I for did, you. I Let did me be in charge of my, with my mom. I know you did. Maybe and you confess that. Don't confess it, my business. I'll confess my own true. business when I'm ready. I'm just wondering who has the who who edits this and posts it. <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah, I do. I remember. Maybe we'll put a couple songs in. No, we will not. <laughs> if if I'm not on the podcast anymore, we know You'll why. You'll know why. Yes, yes. I won't do that to you either. I promise. What were we talking about? No, but just the... Oh, yeah, yeah. When you're busy, how yeah. do you turn the regular exactly. things that you're doing, how do you use those things to shift your eyes to the Lord? Yeah, yeah and that's I, and, good. And I um, I felt challenged by that, and I think that's just something that if I think everybody can take away and, mm-hmm. and do that. So Yeah. Thought that was really good. Yeah, um, yeah. I would definitely recommend her book to any moms out there. I think that 
it's always, just as I know a lot of ministry leaders and pastors and church planners listen to this, I think that there's tremendous value in um, men reading books like this mm-hmm. um, because it helps us know as preachers and as counselors and as leaders how to better understand the, the view and vantage point from which women and moms are coming from. Yep. So even pastors, I'd highly recommend this. I think for husbands to be able to read it, for moms to be able to read it, it's a great book. And she's, uh, again, very sweet and very well-spoken and written. And so yep. it was great. Uh, also, don't forget that uh, we release an episode of the podcast every single week. So if you haven't yet, you can log on to iTunes and search In the Room and subscribe. You can also uh, follow us on social media. I'm at, at Ryan Hughley. That's H U G. G-U-L-E-Y. And Scott is at at Weight Watchers with my mom. <laughs> and I'll let you figure it no, out. Don't at search Scott that. Holhouse. There's probably a very oh, sad yeah, it's probably person all, yeah, posting a totally. lot of... Yeah, no, yeah, at, that won't be good. At Scott Holthouse. I should spell my last name too, because yours is, I feel like, far easier to spell. No way, man. Everybody always misses the second U. Yours well, is Holthaus. Yeah, but <laughs> exactly. First of all, it's Holthaus. Yeah. Thank you. 17 years of friendship. <laughs> Maybe you'll get my last name right. H-O-L-T-H-A-U-S. Ah, thank you. That means a lot to me. Don't ever doubt my love for you. I won't. All right. Thanks for listening. We will see you next week. Bye.